So excited to be here for the 45th episode of my bloody podcast, episode number 45. I'm Brian Kluger with BoomstickComics.com and HighDefDigest.com and this amazingly horrific podcast all about horror, my bloody podcast, and I am joined by the man who has been resurrected so many times, I just, I lost count but each time he comes back, he gets so much sweeter. Uh, Preston Barta, how are you, good sir? I'm doing so, so well. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, can you believe it's episode 45 on my bloody podcast? I, I can't. Not at all. We're about but, to uh, celebrate our year if we're going by weeks. Yeah, well, we we didn't. I guess that uh, goes to show that we didn't do a podcast every week. True, <laughs> true. <laughs> but we did our damn best. We took off for a holiday or two, and uh, for film Some festivals. Change. Yeah. yeah, but we're we're here, alive, kicking, and enjoying. We have a great show for you today. Uh, we are going to be talking about the remake, the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery. Last week, if you listened, we talked about the original 1989 version. We are going to dissect and talk about uh, the new one, Pet Cemetery. Uh, before that, of course, we will have some fun, horrific news for you. Bloody questions, bloody recommendations. All that good stuff. Um, so yes, I, I'm excited. Let's let's start out with some news. Let's start out with trailers. Uh, last week we talked about the Jim Jarmusch movie, The Dead Don't Die, and it was a zombie movie with a crazy cast, including Bill Murray and Adam Driver and Tom Waits and Iggy Pop and Chloe Sevigny and just everybody. But the trailer was released, and holy God, it looks like the funniest Jim Jarmusch movie uh, to date, but it also looks super fun. Uh, what do you think, man? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I was surprised at how polished it looked. It has that kind of like early Netflix kind of shine to it. You know what I mean? Well, like like an early – like. Like a lot of the early Netflix original films and uh, something like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, they have like a certain kind of – I don't want to say cheapish, but it is kind of cheapish. Like it has that certain kind of aesthetic where it doesn't look as artful as something like Only Lovers Left Alive. This one seems like uh, – I think it's just because of the energy of the film. Like it's a more of a comedy and – a bit of a goofy movie, but a fun one. So it has like a, a different kind of look to it. And I was expecting something to be, to fall more with only lovers left alive. Right. Right. So yeah, I don't, I don't get that because only lovers left alive. I watched and it's very slow, very melodramatic and the dead don't die. Looks like that 
glorious bit of Bill Murray dry humor through the entire thing. Right. Like, it looks funny. And it actually looks kind of scary, but it, I love that it looks like Jim Jarmusch has taken actors from every one of his movies and put them all in this one. Uh, because if you go through his list of films, you're like, oh, that person is in this movie. That person is in this movie. And uh, it, it looks fun. I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah. And on top of that, this is what I was looking out for. Uh, I was like, okay, yeah, Jim Jarmusch uh, is doing a zombie movie. So what makes this zombie movie different from other zombie movies? And I guess you could kind of take it from uh it takes a little bit of a page out of uh warm bodies kind of book you know like where they have certain memories and they can like remember uh certain objects or things that they liked or craved like one uh woman uh carol kane right right in it? chardonnay yeah chardonnay <laughs> Yeah, she uh, she comes out of the cell as a zombie moaning Chardonnay, and then Bilmer's like, "Did she say Chardonnay?" Yep. And you know, we we saw that you know that touched on quite a bit in George Romero's Land of the Dead, right? Uh, which I thought was pretty cool, and you know, we kind of saw a hint of it. In Shaun of the Dead and many other zombie movies, we're like, oh, they're going to do just like what they thought they were going to do. But yeah, it looks looks fun. It it looks it actually looks like a very very subdued version of Zombieland, maybe mixed in with Super Troopers because they're police officers, (laughs) Uh, but very dry humor. So I'm I'm excited for this. It's like a hopefully it like reignites the zombie genre. Yeah. So that one's coming out June 14th. Hooray. Um, also coming out June 14th, uh, on Amazon prime strictly, which I think Preston is going gaga over Nicholas winding reference, Nicholas winding reference, new series called too old to die young, which stars miles teller and Nicholas Winding Refn, of course, gave us Preston's favorite movie, Drive, and Only God Forgives. Put a comma in front of that, though. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> yes. Uh, so Refn is awesome. We've both interviewed him. I think Refn loved Preston more than he did most people. Uh, but who doesn't, really? So, But this new series, we have a trailer for it. And what, what do you think, man? So I watched this trailer kind of like with my hand over my eyes a little bit or my hands over my ears more so. Uh, I, I didn't gather like what it's all really about. I see that Miles Teller is involved in a murder of some sort. But I was focusing more on the imagery and just wondering like what Refn would bring to a series. And it seems like he's bringing all the qualities that I like from his filmmaking techniques to – this series in terms of having really good camera work that's going to probably elevate a lot of um, there's there's a lot of shows out there that has really good camera work. I think Stranger Things has good camera work, but this one I think is going to take it to a new level. So I'm, I'm very excited from about the technical aspects, the score, the lighting and everything like that. And to also see Miles Teller uh, in something of better quality uh it's been a little bit so um and i think he's very talented 
uh, as we've seen in movies like Whiplash. So I, I'm I'm happy that like all these people, even John Hawks, all these people coming together uh, to work under Refn's weird roof and just kind of see what happens. And so I'm excited. It looks good. Um, and that's as far as I'm going to go in terms of researching what it's all about because I'm just going to try to go in as blind as possible just because he's a big hero of mine. There you go. Too Old to Die Young. There is a song called Too Old to Die Young that was in Django Unchained. I wonder if that song will be used in this show. Maybe. But, um, yeah, excited. Refn, I mean, I'll watch anything Refn does. I, Even though some of his movies I don't like as much as others, I will always... Refn's a huge movie fan, and not only a huge movie fan, he's a huge like genre fan and like real fucked up genre fan too so i'm always like like, smut films yes yes so i'm always gonna be in on that for sure uh what's cool is that he just he just he knows it and he doesn't care that was like one of the things i asked about when we i don't did you interview him the year because he was at fantastic fest a couple of times or at least twice uh did you interview him when he had the the art of seeing book, which was just like an adult poster book. Yes, I that so I interviewed him when he had that, I, and that was the same year that his wife made that documentary. Or he uh, that doc- one's a following year. So, oh, it was a following. The, well, so my life, the movie that his wife made, uh-huh. came out. Uh, I don't what was it twenty fifteen or something. something and I like think that. the art of seeing came out in twenty sixteen. So. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I asked him about what his wife thought about him being into all these uh, adult films and putting a book together about it. And he said, uh, it's like, my wife doesn't like it at all. She finds <laughs> it very degrading. And so it seemed like she was really worried about like what it could do for his career. So I think he found probably the perfect time to release that book. I don't know how many people actually bought it. I certainly didn't buy it. It was a, it was a pretty book. It was very artfully put together. I had a, I have a digital copy of it, um, but man, it was like one of the most expensive poster books ever. And he, uh, he even that's like one of the ways that they tried to market it, which was crazy. But um, yeah, very strange cat and. He's he's yeah. He's, I'm excited. He's a prototype for sure, uh, one of a kind. But yeah, that too old to die young comes out June 14th on Amazon Prime specifically. Same day, the dead don't die come out in theaters. The other trailer we'll talk about is uh, I would say it could be in the horror genre, but uh, comes out certainly o- dark. Yes, yeah, certainly dark. Uh, comes out October fourth in time for Halloween. It is the new Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker in Gotham. And what it looks like, it look it looks like an old school Scorsese movie. And uh, we finally get to see an origin story of the Joker, which has been told in comic books quite a bit, but never really an early Joker film where you know in comics he was trying to be a stand-up comedian and it did not work out and we know where that went but this looks good and Joaquin looks amazing in it with like the short clips it shows I when I watched the trailer I didn't like how the trailer was edited at all but I got the gist like oh this is going to be something really good but Preston what do you, do you agree do you not agree 
See, I thought the trailer was great. Okay. I really like how it was edited together. Um, I've, I, I, I watched this trailer like five or six times. Uh, I think probably more. Uh, I've been pretty obsessed with it. I've, every time somebody like mentions it on like my Facebook feed, I will like watch it again. Um, just cause, um, I'm really excited that it has that sort of Martin Scorsese quality and he's involved with the production in a capacity, which is really cool. And so I think a lot of us were all very apprehensive about the film from the start, just cause Todd Phillips is directing it. And, and I, I like his films, but we haven't seen anything to really say that he's qualified to tell a story like this, but you know, after watching this trailer and seeing all of what Joaquin Phoenix brings to it, which that I'm not surprised, uh, it looks incredible. I right. I like that he's has this like certain way that he's carrying himself, his body, and we've kind of seen that in other roles, like The Master, where like you see like a shot of his back, and it's and like the, creepy, you know, like yeah, you can see like the the spine and. Uh, how skinny he looks and um, yeah, it, it's, it, it seems like a combination between his roles of in the master. And then most recently you were never really here, uh, which is also a movie that kind of pays homage in some way to taxi driver, which is what the right. vibe that I was getting pretty heavily from mm-hmm. this along with a, king of kings of comedy yeah i i totally agree with that uh and it, it, it looks i mean it looks good and like if you don't remember who todd phillips is todd phillips is directing this movie todd phillips is known for directing all three hangover movies uh and old school old school and so like more comedic he, recently he directed war dogs with jonah hill and miles teller which yeah. wasn't that good um at least like after one was, viewing, you're yeah, like, it was oh, serviceable, man. but not, never watching really. Yeah, yeah. So taking this on, and then in the process, in the same time, having multiple universes and multiple Jokers and Batman's and Justice Leagues, it could get a little convoluted. But this looks to stand on its own, and I'm curious as if we'll see like a Batman in this movie, like you know, nonchalantly or hear about anybody else. But I mean, this looks really cool and hopefully it will be. Cause I'm like, I said, that's very curious. And Joker is one of the beloved, most beloved characters. So hopefully they do it right. Yeah. I am a little, uh, just cause you know, I've watched the trailer so many times and I'm like picking up on these little subtle cues. And, uh, you know, I wonder if it's like, it's one of those movies where if you can cut a trailer together and the images, it just looks so perfect uh, for a trailer. But when you see it in the context of the film, it may not play as well. So I I'm worried that that could happen, but um, I'm, I'm just way down with this uh, trailer. So um, right, I, I agree. Uh, I am, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. Good, good, good. Me too. Uh, trailers, we're, we're good for that for this week. Let's go 
to a new bit of news, which every year, kind of like Comic-Con, there's something called CinemaCon, takes place in Las Vegas, and it's basically like Comic-Con, but for strictly for movies. And uh, it took place this past week, uh, and there's a ton of news that came out, but we'll just get to a couple of them. Three of them being Alien, Predator, and Planet of the Apes. New news on all of these because these movies were with Fox and now they're with Disney. So now we're probably going to be getting a lot of new movies, new series, new products from them. So Preston, what came out with Alien, Predator, and Planet of the Apes? I mean, all they said was that they're, they promised that they're going to be making more films, uh, New, new film so um I, that caused a lot of people on the internet internet to be like well uh we wish that ridley scott got to finish his new trilogy and we uh we hope that maybe this means that neil blomkamp will get to do his his cut of the of the franchise and so um it you know, I mean, we could sit here all day and talk about like all the, the great things that Disney has done with, you know, Star Wars. Uh, I mean, that's arguable, but uh, Marvel and just uh, wondering like what that will look like under their roof now. Um, so, um, yeah, I just they, they said pretty much what I thought they would say that that, hey, we got these properties now. Of course, we're going to make them happen at some point down the line. But yeah, they didn't tell us it, anything. They just yeah, said, like uh, it's so it's so new. Like they just acquired it, uh, acquired 20th Century Fox like last month. So uh, of course, they're probably not going to have anything in the canon right away to fire off. But uh, I, we could see things start Within slowly happening over the next couple of years. I bet you before the end of this year, there will be at least an alien, a predator and a planet of the apes movie announced and dated. <laughs> I see. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe predator, maybe alien. I don't know about uh, just because those movies haven't been completely successful all across the board. Um, but the Planet of the Apes films have, and so I don't know. Maybe they might leave some breathing room for that, but I don't know. Yeah, not with Disney. Anything They're, can happen. They, they spent a bunch of money. They're going to make that money back as soon as possible. True. Uh, so, and then uh, something else called Crawl. I, when you say Crawl, it's on the run sheet. <laughs> I think of yeah. Pauly Shore's character Son-in-law. from Sun. Yeah. Oh my God, Crap. Preston. We're brothers. That's what we think about. I love yeah. it because that's a very rare reference. <laughs> Um, I have my own Pauly Shore section on my movie shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Steelbook Pauly Shore. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, it won't happen because they they only have them on like DVD. I think only Biodome is available on Blu-ray, and that came out through all of films. <laughs> the um, Easel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Crawl is uh, we've actually brought it up before. Um, it's Alexander Aha's. Aha! Uh, Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, his new film. Uh, they showed some footage at CinemaCon, I believe, and uh, we got wind of what it's kind of about, which is, um, I believe, a woman, if I re- remember correctly, a woman is uh, stuck in a house uh, that's flooded in Florida, and uh, there's a bunch of gators. Oh, yeah, that's there. right. That's right. Yeah, so it's like the the Jaws 
uh, version of, or I guess alligator version of Jaws. Sweet. So, um, a lot, and then a lot of positive uh, reactions came out of it. They say it looks scary and it looks like a, uh, a bloody good time. So, um, yeah, I think that that one will be fun. I like the premise. I like anything that involves a a beast of a creature killing people and then people trying to fight it. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, that sounds good to me. Uh, and there, of course, there was way other th- many other movies announced at CinemaCon, but not too much. Not yeah. oh, else. you know what we should bring up? I don't know. Was I don't know if this happened at Cinecom, but it happened recently. Uh, maybe it did. Uh, Mark Hamill's going to be the new ch- voice of Chucky. Oh right, yes, yes, we have to bring that up. Holy shit! Because we've been talking about the Child's Play shit for a long time, and we always thought like they have not cast Chucky yet. Who's going to be it? And then all of a sudden, wow, bam, bam, Jedi! couldn't be more perfect. Uh, Mark Hamill, Joker in the Batman animated series, and the Jedi and the Giver. <laughs> um, good God, he's going to be the voice of Chucky. And if you've ever watched his voice work in like Batman as the Joker, you could easily see the distinction there yeah yeah i hope there is a distinction uh between those two characters however i'm sure we'll be able to get uh some because we don't know how often he'll speak they may concentrate more on the the characters in the film other characters in the film the human characters and so um but um the reason why I'm so excited about it is just because he has a really good laugh. He has a good sinister voice, but I hope there is a bit of a difference between the two characters, at least some in some capacity. Right. Right. Uh, I think, um, I, I, you, cause what's his name? The original guy, um, Brad Dorf, uh, Brad Dorf did such a good job. And then you hear Hamill's Joker and you're like, okay, just don't translate that over strictly to Chucky. Yeah. But um, maybe... I'm sure he's probably working a little bit to try to make it happen, but uh, there's, like, some stuff, like, uh, Mark Hamill's on this show called Nightfall or something like that. Um, and I've wa- I haven't watched the show, but I've seen a couple of clips just because I follow him on Instagram. And they show He shows stuff on there all the time. And you can watch that, and then you can get uh, pick up little uh, nuggets of the Joker in there. But uh, I, I'm figuring if they're paying him some pretty good money, uh, he'll probably work to try to make it a little different. Right, right. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm in for that for sure. Um, yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Mark Hamill. Well, hopefully we'll get to hear something very soon and we'll get back to you on that to see if we like it or not. So, uh, there that is. Moving on to Ari Aster's new horror film. Ari Aster did Hereditary, his new film called Midsommar. Uh... Is being is now coming out in midsummer. <laughs> yeah, w- midsummer, which I don't understand. So, like, it was coming out in August, and now they uh, moved it up to July, uh, a little earlier. But I'm just like, okay, so what was coming out in August, and what's coming out in July, and what will be going up against? Because July seems like it's going to be packed. Yeah, August. I think it's going to be going up against Spider Man. 
it, so it's crazy. I mean, we all know Midsummer will be the better movie, but it's. <laughs> well, I wonder. Did, did they release it just because this is Midsummer? <laughs> like, I don't. Uh, maybe, maybe they're. Uh, you never know. A twenty four is such a um, anomaly to me. Um, just have n- no idea what's what's going through their head, but yet you know they make really great stuff. But yet you know, looking most recently at Under the Silver Lake, like they just kind of shoveled that aside and finally are releasing it. I think later this month on VOD after promising and that they would put it out in theaters um, or that it would be out in theaters. And so uh, I just never know like what their strategies are. It seems like they're just trying a lot of different things because uh, you know, it comes at night um, came out in theaters, but it didn't do very well because I didn't think it was advertised marketed very well. And so uh, maybe just because of the success of Hereditary that maybe they feel and after the success of us that maybe uh, audiences will be craving some more weird fucked up shit. So um, um, and then Ari Aster will definitely bring that with Midsommar. Um, So uh, that's my idea. I think that they're just constantly trying different things. And so this could be a hit for them. I hope so. I mean. With if they like the same the guy who did Hereditary is his new horror film and it's like okay yeah we're all going to go see this and it just I just you don't want it to get lost going up against a Marvel movie which it is now yeah <laughs> it's just so yeah it could it could be completely swept under the rug um, and just forgotten about or. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. It, it, it yeah, it could go either way, but I, I hope that it it has fine success because I like Hereditary, I like A twenty four, and I I want them to succeed. Correct. Me too. Uh, moving on, let's talk about James Gunn a little bit. Uh, James Gunn's produced film. Uh, this is his. He's only producing it, but James Gunn at one point made a great movie. Um, about a guy uh, by the name of Rain Wilson, you know him from The Office, Dwight, who played a normal guy who dressed in a superhero costume and tried to fight crime with no abilities whatsoever. That movie, oh god damn, what was that name? Super. Super, yes. Uh, and it was it was great. So James Gunn is producing a movie called Brightburn, and it's basically, I think, the opposite of that. It's about a villain. And it's rated R for horror violence. So I think this is going to be pretty horrific and pretty crazy. But I'm really excited about this. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I remember this is the film that looks like if uh, Superman was a horror movie. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I think that will work in their favor to have that R rating. Because, that, I mean, what... It, a, a, a horror movie should be rated R. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I hope that it gets dark and twisted and uh, finds ways to, to kind of like deviate from being categorized simply as a, a horror version of Superman, which is what everybody's been doing. And, you know, you watch the trailer and that's the exactly how you feel about the film. And so um, I, I want it to get dark and twisted and nasty and so uh you know looking at james gunn's other like horror stuff that he's done uh, like slither and so uh i i i expect it to be brought uh, him to bring that in in some way to that so cool 
I I I look forward to it. So and it comes out later May, I think, right? Yeah, end of May. I think so. Yes, it'll be it'll be before um it'll be before Midsummer. Yeah. So um there's that another really cool bit of news. Guillermo del Toro is doing a a pretty cool book on Pan's Labyrinth, which will. Uh, open up the world of Pan's Labyrinth. The book will be called The Labyrinth of the Fawn. And this just sounds awesome. Uh, it is coming July 2nd, 2019. And hell yes, I'm in. It is going to be a novel for readers of all ages with uh, illustrations and short stories about the folklore and stuff that took place in... Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, and it just the book looks awesome. Like it looks really cool. Yeah, I'm sure my son will really enjoy uh, fairies getting bitten in half and all that. So yeah, I I, <laughs> I I think it'll be cool. I think that's no no, the... no no no. I I think it's gonna be great. Pan's Labyrinth's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, so uh, to get more uh, information out of that world is always exciting to hear um, just because, you know, I don't think he'll ever make another film out of it. But uh, to kind of give it what it's, you know, paying homage to, which is like fairy tales and books um, to kind of put that in that that form, that art form is uh, very rewarding. So, yeah, I I'm in need of a good uh, coffee table book to yeah, show off. So for sure, and I love reading uh, like the uh, the actual uh, logline of the book because it says it's for readers of all ages. But when you read it, this spellbinding tale takes readers to a sinister, magical, and war torn world filled with richly drawn characters like trickster fawns, murderous soldiers, child eating monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly why I was saying I don't think my two-year-old son's going to enjoy that. It just sounds great. I'm all in, and the artwork looks good. I, I can't wait. So uh, there's that. Look for that again July 2nd, 2019. Uh, moving on, uh, let's talk about they have uh, announced a date, well, not a month, The Conjuring 3. The Part 3, not a side movie, just The Conjuring 3, will be released in September of 2020. Um, interestingly enough, it's not going to be released in October. I don't get it. But September of 2020, that might change. But we're getting Conjuring 3 a year and a half away, I guess. Yeah. I think they're trying to get that uh, it uh, date, uh, it being the Stephen King it, because it had a lot of success uh, in that September uh, area and so the new- probably really getting released then so that's yeah so good. they're just gonna climb yeah like you know movies uh big ones you know like avatar coming out in december and well a lot of the big movies like star wars and stuff like that um and then when those like franchises are at least concluded for the time being somebody else will jump up to the plate um that kind of falls in that so a horror movie uh is needed there next year so um put put uh that film there and it'll carry over into october um so um yeah it's it's not uh it's it's a wise decision i would say yeah it's uh it's it makes sense but i'm looking forward to it conjuring three um our last bit of news 
will be, of course, home video release announcements. Uh, and we have to make a quick announcement uh, of something that just came through <laughs> the email today through Scream Factory uh, regarding the Eli Roth movie called Green Inferno. It looks like there were a ton of malfunctions and glitches on the disc, so they are pushing that release to June 25th. Uh, and so they have to fix all these copies. Luckily, I got my copy already. Yeah, so it might I did be, too. <laughs> it might be a collector's item. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they did that with another movie uh, last year. I can't remember what it was for. Oh, uh, Wild at Heart. Right. Uh, the Shout Select film. Uh, they had some malfunctions, but when I watched mine, I had no problem with it. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. It, it, so now I'm going to pop this in and see what it's all about. But yeah, I'm not going to provide a review Correct. Uh, yeah. of it until we get like the official one they acknowledged it so upcoming video releases from scream factory uh we've got silent hill which uh came through the email yesterday and had killer artwork on it of uh, in a collector's edition can't wait and then when a stranger calls is coming out through scream factory very excited it calls again when a stranger calls again, that's what I meant. When a stranger calls again, and then the seduction. So those three things from Scream Factory coming out, and then from I believe MVD uh, Arrow Video, Lords of Chaos, and then Prom Night original soundtrack on vinyl are coming soon as well, which uh, all seem like good releases. I, I mean, not like amazing releases by any means, but I think the Silent Hill has me intrigued for sure. So what about yeah. you? What do you think? Um, I'm, I, you know, I've never honestly seen Silent Hill. Um, I think so, you like it. The atmosphere is so good, so good. So I think you'll well, like yeah. it. I mean, I like the the artwork. I like that. I follow that guy on Instagram, and so as soon as he announced it, I was like, oh shit, yeah, he does really good stuff. I think he also did like Urban Legend, so it kind of falls has that certain look to it, and so. Um, Right. Uh, and I've seen like pictures of, uh, we've talked about that, that guy with that humongous city looking helmet thing. Yeah. Um, before on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, very curious about that one. It is good. And that wraps up our news section for episode 45. If there is a news article you want us to talk about next time, email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com. We love you. But on to my bloody questions. This is where we ask a question, horror-related. We answer it. We bring it to the Reddit. Uh, Reddit.com. Ask our our good friends over at Reddit what they think about it and their answers. And we read them, and it's pretty fun. And we had a tough time this week coming up with a question. And it came down to two of them. And one, the other one we will save for another day just because... We were trying to word it greatly, and just I couldn't do it. Uh, so we went with this other one, which is still fun. Uh, the question this week is, if you could take an animal or pet from a horror film, or really any other movie, and raise it as your own, who would it be, and how would you raise it? And of course, we ask this because um, we're talking about Pet Cemetery. But yeah, uh, if you could take an animal or pet from a horror film and raise it as your own... Who would it be and how would you raise it? We've got some pretty fun comments from Reddit. Uh, but Preston, did you did you get to answer this? Did you have a fun one? Um, yeah. Uh, most recently I watched uh, 
which isn't that great of a movie, but it's called Man's Best Friend. <laughs> Hell yeah! Which is like the Terminator Cujo dog. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that would be uh, pretty great to have in my backyard uh, to uh, ward off my enemies. But he would have to o- obey me in some way. So, yeah. There you go. That is good. Uh, I said um, I would take Alfred Hitchcock's birds and I would raise them to send messages to people or defecate on cars with jerk drivers and fly me to places. <laughs> so they would be kind of like uh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, ravens or crows, whatever the, the, those The eagles, are. yes. The yeah. eagles are well, coming. Not, well, not the, not the eagles that are coming, but like the ones that uh, Saruman has when he's oh. like sending them out. Yes, yes. They, they, they can pick up where you are and deliver the message yeah. back. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So Alfred Hitchcock's birds, that was mine. <laughs> So be, you'd be like, go find me Bruce Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where he is. And then by the strength in your numbers, bring him to me with your claws. <laughs> yeah. We brought him back. He's not really alive, but. And then I think, you know, birds shitting on cars all the time. I just feel like you're driving yeah. along, you're driving along, and then somebody yeah, cuts you Yeah, just being off. stuck in traffic, get cut off by a guy and be like, Fucking shit all over that asshole's car. <laughs> yes. It's just like, kill him. <laughs> or just like poop on his car. Don't kill him. Just just get it all over and he'll just have a bad day. But uh, let's move to Reddit. Uh, we asked the question. Is, it is fun. Uh, we got some fun answers. Uh, V-I-G-F-T-W, Vig for the win, I guess, says Gizmo from Gremlins. He's just cute as fuck and has the voice of an angel. <laughs> so that was his their answer. Um, Cheesecake Boom said, I would take Cujo before he gets infected. Then he's just Beethoven and not a murder monster. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's true. Um, Chad for life says, does Bub from Day of the Dead count as a pet? So... I would say yes. Um, nope, not here. Said, does a xenomorph count? I want one, but t- a bit tamed down, of course. Uh, lucky name XXCC. He would take Bruce. And I had to think about that for a second. He said, Bruce, I'd give him lots of arms and legs to eat. And I was like, is that Bruce the shark from Jaws? Is that what they're going for? But I figured that would have been yours, Preston. Uh, yeah, that would make a lot of sense for um, me. Correct. Uh, Jordan W21 said, Willard's rats. Probably use them the same way Willard did, but I'd be way nicer to Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. It's yeah, because that, that part broke my heart. I mentioned that. Yeah, no, of course it did. Sunny Kick K said, Anaconda from Anaconda. I'll take them shop- to do shopping with me. <laughs> and I just imagine perhaps uh, he would just swallow all the merchandise, I guess. For, yeah, good, good way. You're like, yeah, you're not going to look inside his mouth. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and then my favorite one, All New Crystal Zitface said, Do werewolves count? Because I definitely want one of the werewolves from Dog Soldiers. It'd be a hell of a yeah. tennis partner. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was great. Uh, I'm I'm in. Those were our uh, our things. I, I, the Willard's Rats ones is great, but the Dog Soldier one playing tennis because those werewolves like stand on two feet and are gigantic. 
I think that would be super fun. Uh, but yeah, that per that person who said Willard, they should have said uh, be nicer to Ben, but also go hunt down Crispin Glover. <laughs> yes, yes, go hunt down Crispin Jordan W twenty one. But thank you to everyone at Reddit who chimed in. We love you. We'll keep asking these questions, and hopefully next week we will have uh, the one we originally had for this week uh, worded better, <laughs> just because it was just hard to like not. To, to, to ask the question it felt like it needed a paragraph <laughs> yeah it's like because i i had to call brian to <clears throat> explain because i even i was trying to like how am i going to word that in a way that doesn't seem overwhelming for people to look at right because the idea is to just you know have like one or two lines and be like okay got it um so yeah, we'll we'll nail it down. We'll we'll have a two part sub question next week, <laughs> um, for it. But now, uh, we move to Preston. We move to my bloody recommendations, where we recommend a forgotten horror film or a brand new one. We just want to suggest this horror movie for you, and so you can watch it again, relive it, relove it, uh, and all that good stuff. So our bloody recommendations this week. Preston, what is yours, good sir? Mine is brand spanking new. It's uh, just released on Netflix last week, and it is called Mercy Black. Oh, okay. And it's directed by Ower Edgerton, uh, Owen Edgerton. Owen Edgerton. Owen Edgerton, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, he did blood he did bloodfest um uh so this one is what i wanted um slender man to be like it involves a uh some a group of kids um who kind of create this urban legend uh create this uh entity of some sort and uh it becomes real or does it um it takes a wrong turn. They create rituals for it. And, um, and so we just kind of follow, uh, characters for over 15 years and just kind of see like what they're, what they're up to and like how the legend has grown, uh, grown since then and gone viral. Um, so, uh, it's a, it's a really well done film. It's, it's not going to like uh, knock your socks off or anything like that. Um, but it's one that reminded me of, uh, the, the certain joy from horror that I got from some of the films that came out in like the early two thousands. Um, it, it has that certain kind of quality to it where you, you're intrigued by everything of what's going on. You enjoy the characters uh, you enjoy, uh, how much the characters have kind of progressed since, uh, some of those films that came out in the early two thousands. Uh, in this one, they focus a lot on, uh, female characters kind of being behind, uh, some of this. And so, uh, I was just very intrigued by, by it all. And I found it quite, quite creepy. Um, some good jump scares and they, they kind of play around with your expectations. Um, and the MVP performance that I wanted to highlight is, uh, Lee Eddy. Um, she was in one of my favorite films from a couple of years ago called Mustang Island. She's also married to Macon Blair. Um, and she's just really damn good in this movie, uh, in a, in a small role, but, uh, she really makes the, the most of it. And, uh, I want to see her in more stuff uh, like this. And so um, I'm going to be talking to her 
uh, Friday, actually, of this week, maybe when this episode comes out. And so I can talk about that And hopefully she can have the audio on the show the following week. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm excited to talk to her. Uh, yeah, talk to her for Mustang Island, so it should be a joy. But, yeah, Mercy Black, it's on uh, Netflix right now. Just a super solid uh, horror film. Uh, it's, a, it's a good Friday night. Uh, movie to watch. Um, so yeah, watch that. Mercy Black. Cool, cool, cool. Very cool. I like it a lot. Um, cool. Yeah, Mercy Black. My uh, my bloody recommendation is from 1978, and kind of goes along with the pet cemetery idea with animals, killer animals, basically. Uh, I'm going to name the people who are in this movie from 1978. I want to see if Preston knows what this movie is. So, Michael Caine, Richard Chamberlain, Lee Grant, Patty Duke, and Slim Pickens. Uh, It's not ringing a bell to me. Okay, 1978's The Swarm, directed by... Oh, yes, I've seen it. (laughs) Yes, Directed by Irwin Allen, who gave us the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventures and uh, TV series such as Lost in Space and the Time Tunnel Land of the Giant, stuff like that. But he also made a film that took place in Texas called The Swarm about killer bees. <laughs> and the movie's ridiculous. It, it is really fucking ridiculous. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, these bees kind of uh they these killer bees are held bound on killing people and they kind of form a gigantic faction uh where they communicate with one another and like we are killing everyone and just everyone goes and like everybody's dying and they're being stung and killed and grossness and like they get the military involved and all sorts of stuff it's actually not a really great film but it's super fun to watch from these 1970s because Irwin Allen like Towering Inferno you know on top of a burning building and then you know the the Poseidon Adventure which is the sinking boat where nobody believes it's sinking and they're like okay these disaster films what else can we do oh shit let's do bees in texas and that will be our disaster film and it's just it's ridiculous and crazy preston do you remember seeing this yeah uh, i think i got it last year uh from warner archive collection Uh and yeah watched it and it's it's like one of those movies that's very similar to sleepwalkers the stephen king film um where it and, and I've used this sort of description before to describe some of the movies that we've recommended uh, in our money, my bloody recommendation sections, or even some of the films that we've highlighted in our future presentations. But uh, being one of those kind of movies where it just seems like none of the characters are behaving in any way that seems very human at all. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like very dramatic, super dramatic. Overly, like even some of the stuff the that Michael Caine says, I'm like, good God, man, like tone it down a notch. <laughs> um, it's like, it's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it, what makes it fun is that it's uh, it, it plays into that fear that a lot of people had at that time, which was killer bees uh, that you know they're coming from Africa and they could kill you, and so uh, it just kind of plays with that hysteria. And so uh, it, it's very fitting of the time, probably playing a little a, a lot better back when it came 
came out but you know we watch it now and we're like this is really dramatic and goofy as fuck and so but uh yeah it's like one of those movies that would be perfect for the alamo draft house um and then just watching it with some rowdy friends drinking beer uh whatever and so it'd be a fun way to kind of spend uh so yeah watch mercy black on friday night when you're wanting to snuggle up with a loved one and then on saturday invite your buds over and tear this movie to shreds yeah, correct. Yeah, it is. It's super fun. It, I mean, I mean, it's not super fun. It's a bad movie, but it's super fun to watch. Like Preston said, it, with it, your friends, it'd be a good one for them to do on that podcast. How the fuck did this get made, or something? Right. You're just like, holy shit! All these people were in it. Uh, but yeah, it got. Yeah, if we ever got to interview Michael Caine, that would be the movie to ask about. Like, I, I want to ask you about something. What, what do you think I'm going to ask you about? Oh, I, I don't know, uh, Batman. And be like, no, so, let's talk about the swarm in Jaws four. <laughs> yeah, it's like you made some choices, man. Give me some choices. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith did the music for it, which is great. And uh, yeah, if you can find it, the, the movie also won an Oscar for, or not won an Oscar it was nominated no, for an Oscar for costume. <laughs> <laughs> which is like they look like 70s characters yeah it doesn't make right. sense <laughs> they there wasn't a lot of costumed movies back then or at least in 1978 yeah, they're like so. oh that's got some good people in it Catherine ross you know gotta gotta nominate it so yeah so there there you go uh the the swarm <laughs> really funny um all right all right all right let's, let's move on i i gotta know you got to know. So our, our feature presentation is the 2019 remake of Pet Cemetery, And if you've heard us talk about this a little bit before, Preston, you, uh, you really like this movie, right? Yes, I did. Okay. So I watched it last night. I watched it. I, um, and I got to say, I really hated it so much. Oh, my God. Much. No. <laughs> I did. I actually, I, I posted my review today. And the uh, the big tagline from the review that I posted with it uh, is not really favorable. And in fact, it uh, says, what does it say? It says, um, the Pet Cemetery remake is downright bad in just about every way possible. And God. I was really upset after I walked out of the theater. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a really fun podcast because we're going to have well, total... Well, yeah, I'm fucking prepared to take you to the mat. <laughs> Take me to the mat and make me tap out Steel Cage match. Side note, WrestleMania is this Sunday, so Preston has a little little clue in there. Um, well, well, I'm definitely not going to watch it now. <laughs> so, okay, so let's give we we got it. Okay, let's 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 follow this. All right, I said my piece, so let, let's 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 hear it. Okay, so so Pet Cemetery, the uh, the new movie by the stats alone uh, for this film, uh, we'll just we'll just talk because we talked about the last one, uh, the original one last week, but this one runs in at 101 minutes and uh, is directed by kind of two relatively new filmmakers, Kevin Kolsch, Dennis Widmeyer, and is written by Jeff Bueller, uh, and it stars Jason Clark, Amy Simmons, uh, John Lithgow. Amongst uh, a couple other kids and whatnot, and uh, yeah, and it's coming out through Paramount Pictures. It opens up this weekend, and I watched it, and it, I had the moment Preston and I had when we were watching the live-action Beauty and the Beast, where I literally turned to my friend Warren mm. and said, "Fuck, this is a terrible." He's like, "Yes, yes, it is." Uh, so 
expectations in coming in to Pet Cemetery were pretty high given what Preston has said about it and then kind of seeing news articles related to it saying how good it was. And did it meet my expectations? Fuck no, it did not meet my expectations. <laughs> good God, it did not. I was... And I just... After it, I was like, I think Preston and I saw a completely different movie. Um... Even it was edited differently, I don't know, but I didn't like any of it uh, at all. And do you want me to tell you why, good sir? Yes, uh, so we're going to keep it spoiler-free until uh, we get to, or are we going to just go, no, people I'll, got I'll, the I'll idea of it, how we feel? I'll give it, okay. I mean, a spoiler-free review. I'll basically just say, right. Oh no, right now I'll just say kind of like what it, the gist of it is about. So if you're unfamiliar with the film, um, it follows the Creed family, including, you know, a mother, father, and two young kids. And they move to the country from the big city because the dad, who is a doctor, uh, wants a better schedule. And when they Why buy not? this house in the country, they have like 50 acres. And on this, like, this 50 acres, there's this pet cemetery, like where people bury their pets and it's super creepy. So one day their cat named church is found dead. And in order uh, to not really scar the children too much and keep the children happy, they bury it in the pet cemetery and the, the pet comes back to life. Uh, but not as the same as it once was the happy go lucky cat. It is kind of an evil cat. So as the movie progresses further, there is a uh, tragic accident, which we'll go into detail more, but there's a tragic accident with the family where a member of the family is buried or dies and then is buried in the pet cemetery and they come back again, not quite as they once were. So that's kind of the gist of the story, non-spoiler uh, review. However, let's go through why uh, it worked in the book, because I read the book a long time ago, and I have not read it recently at all, but I remember some of the instances in the book. And of course, we just watched the original one last week. But in my opinion of why I legit hated this movie... <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, Preston. I know it's killing you right now. Um, so what, so in Stephen King's original story, it, the, this movie or his story, Pet Cemetery, is really about, it's like, it's a lot of hard themes to deal with. It is a, about loss, grieving. And I think in interviews with Stephen King, he has said when he wrote this is like, what if a member of your family, like a kid of your family died, what would you go through? What insanity would you go through in trying to get this kid back? Like you want, you want to spend one more minute with this person who has died. What would you do to get him back? And I think the story explains and shows like the grieving, uh, what you might do, like the insanity you might go through and trying like, well, will this work? Can we bring him back? Or in the sorrow, like the relationships that might sour upon that. Uh, it's a roller coaster of emotions per, for sure. And I think in this new one, they explore it more so than in the original movie. Uh, but it is. It comes across as highly laughable and silly in most of the parts. Um, 
also a lot of the movie is super dark, like um, stylistically, and even to the point where it's like, wow, you're just seeing like grays and blues and blacks, you know, on screen, uh, color wise. And then when they bury the these people in the pet cemetery beyond the the wooded Make brush, book. it looks uh, it's like clearly a set, and it was like just so funny to me it was like oh if one of these actors takes two steps in either direction they're going to run into a wall in a set it just it just looked cheap um and we talked about last week how the movie could be modernized with better scares so there were jump scares here but they were super cheap jump scares and highly laughable uh to me and so i think you know, after watching this, I thought of movies like The Witch and Hereditary that dealt with like such tragic loss and grieving in such a better way than this movie did. Uh, I thought this movie w- just felt lazy and cheap and just stale compared to stuff we've seen very recently that did it perfectly and i was hoping it would be like this but it was not and we can go into more detail and we will because there's moments that i laughed out loud at and i was like really did they really do this uh that that's kind of like where i was coming from when i was came out of that theater i was like oh this is just super slow burn to me and none of it's really sticking i don't care about any of these characters it is laughable so that's where i came from Preston, change my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, See, at this point, I feel like I have to get into spoilers to kind of back up some of of what you said, because I'm on, as you could probably imagine, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I found all the, because I I, I mentioned this in my uh, interview that I did with the filmmakers in uh, Jason Clark and Amy Simez that there are moments in in you're going to laugh Brian because of everything of what you just said um uh, <laughs> but it, going back to what I said a couple of weeks ago after I saw it like I truly believe that there those jump scares that are in the film uh especially the ones involving uh Zelda are really good yeah. and really well done um more so than the original film um, because we're we're seeing her, we're getting a better understanding of the relationship between Rachel and uh, Zelda in this film. Because it, that's what I was surprised about that they were spending more time. They're giving like everybody their their fair share to kind of uh, uh, do what they need to do and explore those relationships. I mentioned last week that uh, you know I've been reading the book. I only have probably maybe about a hundred pages or so left. Um, but I feel like, you know, when you read the book, you're getting inside all the characters heads, uh, primarily Lewis played by Jason Clark. And I had mentioned that I feel that this film carries over a lot of the thoughts that he has and uses them through other characters to kind of illustrate his thoughts. And like, it'll pop up, like I'll recognize when they discuss religion because uh, there's a big part in the book where they talk about that, uh, how they how they differ on that, how the wife and husband differ on that, and then they're trying to explain that to their son, uh, to their daughter, um, who's the one that's asking about death, um, and she also asks about death in the original 1989 film, but 
it's explored here more to a, a more tangible level to where I could feel for the characters and I feel for their fear of death. And so I felt that uh, that was pretty clever as somebody who had, who's pretty fresh on the book and is um, just amazed at the way that uh, Stephen King kind of explain and get inside people's uh, mindsets. And I, fe- I truly feel that that's illustrated much better in this new version. And I did feel for the characters. I, I'm kind of baffled that you, that you didn't, um, I don't, yeah, it could have been because of expectations of what everybody was saying, but you know, I went in fresh. I actually thought that it was going to suck when I went to the premiere at South by Southwest. And so maybe that I was on the other end uh, it, it probably helped uh, my viewing experience, but I just truly think that it was an awesome movie. I don't, I don't think it's as uh, I I mentioned last week as well that I think they're very different movies, the nineteen eighty nine version and this two thousand nineteen version, because I think that the last uh, quarter of the film is way more haunting. In the original film, I had mentioned about, you know, when they bring Gage back, um, that the there's more emotional horror there, and that makes it more terrifying. It makes it more relatable. It makes me, when I go home or, you know, go to sleep at night, I'm thinking about it. It... So I think the move, the original film has the power to have those more lasting effects on me. And I also mentioned last week that I feel like this 2019 version is just handled in a very cool and awesome way, like Cabin in the Woods. Um, and when we get to the spoiler section, like the, the last two minutes of the movie alone is what makes it cool to me and makes it like cabin in the woods where there's just so much room for things to happen. And like, they could just keep going with this and it could be going to some truly fucked up areas. Um, in terms of something that I agree with you on is when they go to the Micmac, uh, uh, cemetery, which is the cemetery beyond that has the power to bring them back, uh, from the dead. Uh, it does kind of have like this cheap look to it, but I also think that it's, trying to give you a feeling that it doesn't feel real at all. Like it almost feels like it just doesn't exist on this earth. And so I feel that that's what they were going for. That would be my defense against it uh, for it. But um, I, I, I can recognize that it would have some of that cheap quality to it. But in terms of the coloring of the film, I like it. I like the way that they, cause you know, you look at the original, uh, it, you know, it was shot in the late eighties and, uh, and it has that kind of like late eighties, early nineties, kind of like TV movie look. Um, a lot of the stuff that's like super dark in the film in terms of, uh, it's thematic, uh, in terms of, uh, thematic material or like, uh, the scene itself, um, dark material, I should say. Um, it's, uh, sometimes shot in daylight. Like, uh, even when they go, bury church it's like shot in like daylight and then it's finally dark by the time they actually bury the thing but and and this one i feel like it's still trying to you know it has like this kind of hazy look to it where it's almost like trying to bridge the worlds between like the dead 
and uh, the real world. And um, like when <clears throat> Lewis has his like dreams about uh, going, figuring out like what this uh, what the pet cemetery is uh, through Pascal. Um, it's the, the way that they, they, they play with that. They, they, the transitions of the scenes itself, where it just kind of feels like, uh, there's like a scene where he goes down to the basement in the new one. And, uh, there's like headlights from a semi truck or a truck. And then I thought that all that was really clever and, and like a subtle way of kind of hinting at the terror, uh, that's about to unfold. And so, uh, yeah, everything of what you said, I just, I'm just like, I, I don't understand it, Maybe we did see different films, uh, but, um, I stand by it. I think it's a really, uh, well done film. I think that the, the scares are, I, I compared it to, to Kubrick and I stand by that because there's certain shots with Zelda that I think, uh, kind of call back to, uh, moments. Uh, I thought specifically, of the shot in the shining where they open the elevator doors and the blood comes out. Like they show a shot. You know what? I, I, they, there was a scene that, that scene, I definitely thought of the shining. So like, Oh, that's Stephen King. I was like in the blood comes running down from that. I, I thought of the shining there. I definitely did not think Kubrick by any way, anywhere in the movie, but I thought of the shining for sure. Uh, with that happened. And then I noticed like, you know, like little Easter eggs, like when, uh, the mother was coming back to the country house and she was 20 miles from Derry, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause they do that. They do that in the book. They, I, I brought up last week that they made Cujo part of the same, the same universe. Uh, they do that with other, some of the other films too. They, uh, there's even a part in the book where he mentions all work and no play. Jack is a dull boy. So it, it's paying homage to like other King works, uh, like King tends to do with his own work. He uh, is like making it fun and kind of interactive in that way. And I feel that the film does a good job of kind of uh, calling attention to that. Um, so uh, shall we go to spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. We can go to spoilers. I just said, I just got to add on like the, the jump sure. scare thing. I, I totally like the jump scares of like the trucks passing by, it just kept happening and it's like, okay, just big crescendo of noise. That's it. Or, you know, the stereotypical using every movie where like you look under the bed real fast, nothing's there and you back up slowly. And then there's the jump scare, you know, cause they're right behind you. It just, it was just all bland and been done before and silly. I didn't give a shit. I, I, I got a question. How would you do that in a way that would go against what audiences expectations? Because obviously there was a time where it, in horror films where you would look under the bed and then that thing would be right there. And then now it's becoming like a thing where it, it's like even the act of subverting your expectations is becoming a cliche. So how would you handle that in a proper way? I feel like I would have done, like if I would have had that happen, like I like the act, like him, like looking a couple places, like, cause obviously something's up there. And then like him, like slowly coming down somewhere and but then in the silhouette of the back you see her with the knife in hand like a silhouette and then you just it happens so it's not like the cheap jump scare uh but i think that's i mean off the top of my head that's how i would try to film okay, it okay we'll, we'll we'll get into that in spoilers correct correct but okay so spo- spoilers now okay so i guess first uh are we spoiling 
Yeah, we'll spoil the big change in the in the film. All right, so the big change in the film is that the little boy, Gage, the toddler, does not die. It almost seems like it's going to happen, but then in a really fucking stupid way, the truck doesn't run anybody over, but it, like, kind of jackknifes and the oil tanker thing comes off and slide down slides down the road and kills the daughter who is tending to her cat and in our audience after that happened somebody yelled out what no explosion <laughs> it was so funny uh, but I just thought that was so terrible, and it's all in slow motion, and it's just, oh, give me a break. And I'm, I'm like, sitting there laughing, like, oh, of course. Uh, but, I, I mean, it makes more sense in the movies uh, that she would die, even in the, in the, the story. Original, yeah, yeah, in the story, because he She's likes, the one that's asking all the questions about death. Correct, correct. But I guess in the original movie, you know, it's... Uh, it, I, I guess it's more of a shock to have a toddler, like always happy go lucky, innocent die. But even in the original film, you're still kind of like, okay, he didn't really show a lot of love to the boy, but he's really broken up about it. So that's that's a big thing. The girl dies. Okay, we got we got that. And then I think another spoiler is that Zelda is in the film, and. Her death scene is something straight out of something like uh, Naked Gun or Airplane. Like, it's so funny, I laughed out loud. It's like the first the, f- <laughs> the first death in a dumbwaiter, which c- killed me. <laughs> I thought that was so funny and not scary at all. Because in the original film, they just kind of show her doing life like like her grotesque movements and puking and not quick cutting and like jump scares to her like whoa there she is and that's what they did here and it was not scary whatsoever to me uh and i thought that was like that was just that's just terrible that's just that's silly and then the dumbwaiter thing when she dies in the dumbwaiter just really made me laugh this is super infuriating to me because <laughs> because i thought all of that was scary and really well done because it operates uh how memories work when you're terrified and you're scared of something they come back in flashes um not in like a oper- if you're thinking about the way that the human mind works that is how it works it doesn't <laughs> operate in a narrative way where you have a really long scene and show every the ins and outs of everything, so I I think that works because it, it's the terror of the past working into her future or the present of her like looking in her uh, mirror in her bathroom and then open it and then being complete. I think the dumbwaiter thing was great. I don't I don't understand how you think it's so stupid. It is so bad. It is so bad. I expected expected like Lieutenant That's terrifying. Frank- it made me think of uh, Zodiac when he goes into the the house and then he hears all those noises above. Like them using sound effects and making uh using noise in the way that they do. That makes it terrifying to me. Oh, not man. the flat, not just straight up flashback. So it worked for me. And so you're wrong, sir. I'm sorry it worked for you. (laughs) I think this is the first time Press and I have really ever super disagreed about a horror movie. 
That's so fun. Um, yeah, no, it didn't. It did. It didn't. I, I really. I went into that movie like, oh, this is gonna be so good, and then it's like, oh, every decision was bad, and uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't like Zelda here. I, I. The fact that you just like got no sense of cutting away or anything from the original film, just like, oh god, that still terrifies me even to this day. And in this one, see, I, you it, know when. Watching the the Zelda stuff now from the original, I don't think it works. Wow! I, I think the the laugh works. Uh, it, it's almost like in a, a, a aesthetic kind of way, not so much in a thematic kind of way. And I think it works in a thematic kind of way here. Um, so yeah, completely disagree there. I don't know if you're like holding on to nostalgia here, and it, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe that's like something that we differ on a lot of movies because it seems like whenever we talk about news and of certain horror films, uh, you're very protective of the original stuff and are not willing to give new stuff a chance. Most of the time they fuck it up. Uh, but I always give it a chance. Like I was surprised by how much I liked it. Like the recent it movie was really good, way better than the original little mini series minus, uh, Tim Curry's, uh, Pennywise. However, the movie as a whole was really good. Um, but this one, oh, good God. I just think they missed it. The mark by tons. But more spoilers in it that they changed. Uh, I They did not go into detail about Judds, who's now played by John Lithgow. Uh, they yeah. didn't go into because in the original film, they talk that he actually buried uh, somebody up there, a human, not just a dog, but they didn't really go into that in this new movie, which is fine. Yeah, well, in, in the book, it's uh, it's somebody else. It's like other people, uh, a sol- uh, so- a father of a soldier and that sort of thing. They talk about bringing a bull back and uh, right. the, the effects of that. And so, yeah, I, I understand why they kind of put him off to the side uh, more so because you know i i enjoy it in a in a novel setting to have those scenes of dialogue between lewis and uh, judd where they're having a beer every night just kind of reminiscing about the past and then just kind of talking about like their thoughts about the present and so all that works to me for me in the book but you know there it's a complete different uh tone in this film because you know like i said they're not you're not getting that full access to Lewis's mind like you do in the book. And so you have to make it work on a different level as a film because it's not, it's not a stream of consciousness uh, sort of approach. Right. And so uh, I, I understand why they, uh, they, they, put him off to the side because they're trying to put more focus into the family. Right. Which was fine, which was the ultimate, goal of the film which i will say that i enjoyed like the last like 30 seconds of the film where this movie or franchise however you call it could go because how it ends in the move in the original movie you know the father is wrought with grief because he brought back his son and had to kill him he fucked up real bad yes and then he his wife dies and then he buries her, brings her back in the last shot of the original film is them kissing with her, like, you know, all bloodied and like right out of the dirt and then flades to black. And then you hear the knife go into his back and he screams. This one 
which Preston said is mo more about talking about the family. Well, they really did a cool thing here, and I was like, oh, and bringing up the movie uh, Cabin in the Woods, kind of, that's kind of a cool scenario of like, wow, because before we spoil the ending of the film. Uh, midway in the movie, uh, and not talked about in the original film, you just know that it's a pet cemetery and maybe an Indian Indian burial ground. But in here, there's actually a book that they're talking about a Wendigo, and you actually see like perhaps a Wendigo in the mist. Yeah. Uh, you know, as uh, Clark Jason Clark is walking by, and it's like, okay, so we get that. Like, I don't necessarily needed that aspect of it because i like you know we don't know what this is but that's probably what it was um but i liked you know bringing that aspect and then perhaps where how this movie ended into this cabin in the woods scenario uh type of thing which press and tell us about how the new one ended which i actually liked yeah so um yeah i'll, I'll... There's a couple of stuff that I want to say after what you said, but uh, yeah, so this new one ends in a way where um, Lewis uh, is killed by, oh wait, so I'm jumping the gun here. So the the wife, uh, what's her name, Rachel, is killed, um, it, but she's brought back as her, you know, quote unquote zombie version. So it's her and Ellie, the daughter, and, um, and then, um, Lewis is killed and then he's brought back. So, uh, before all that happened, Lewis locked his son Gage in the car and said, don't open it for anyone. And so at the end of the film, you see the whole family walking together as a family to get their son to kill him and then bring him back so they could all be an undead family. <laughs> right. And it was, it's interesting because they talk about that, uh, as the mother and the daughter, um, the mother's still alive and the daughter is killing the mother. And they're like, he's like, we want you to be here with us. And it's like, you're not my yeah. daughter. Well, you can join her in hell, you know, sort of thing. And then kills her. So I'm wondering like, is the is the Wendigo making everybody evil because they're not their true selves, or is it like they're like zombies and like a family? And it could be, you know, you know. It, it's interesting because we just saw Us not too long ago, and spoilers for that film. We've discussed it. We hope that you've all watched it at this point because you're behind <laughs> if you haven't. But uh, just the idea of them being soulless people, um, I think that's probably the idea here. Is that uh, it's almost because in the book. Um, it's like, um, Judd even talks about, uh, ex like taking ownership of Gage's death and he, they bring it up in the original film too. There's a good scene, uh, in, in the book, it's over a campfire kind of thing, then outside. And then in the book, it's at a, it's at a table, um, in the 1989 version, it's at a table. And so, uh, it, it's like uh, the Micmac burial ground, which I don't know if they actually call it in the new one just because I've only seen it once. But that's what they refer to it in the, the book, uh, The Place Beyond the Pet Cemetery. Uh, 
it calls to them. Like it has the power to cause them to make certain decisions once they're introduced to their, its power. And so that's what I think that this new one is trying to show. Uh, I think in the original 1989 film, they handle the concept of grief better because you get that scene, like I mentioned last week, where you see Lewis hugging his dead son and that sort of thing. And they, they do that here, but it's almost like it's more of a power thing in this new one that the, that the, the, the evil is calling to them and causing them to make these decisions that they are making. And so that's what I understood from it in the direction uh, that that's, that's why I think they took it in that direction uh, is uh, because that was a, a different way to take it um, and also kind of make it fresh and unique uh, without uh, hitting all the exact same notes as uh, as the new as the original 1989 version. I, I might need to watch this movie again. I think I'll have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. When you were talking about uh, Ellie's death scene. I thought that was great, man. If that fucking truck would have exploded, that would have been like to the extreme. <laughs> I would just be like, good God. Like it would be robbing the horror of this situation, which I like that it's in slow motion and that he's uh, running because it, it, it's captured. Like that made me feel it. Like that's obviously, you know, as a par- parent myself, uh, it's the greatest horror to imagine your kids dying and so right i was feeling that in that moment uh projecting my own experiences and feelings onto the screen in that moment uh because i don't know i i didn't feel that it was cheap or anything uh it, it unfolded in a way that i i would feel like would happen i was just in complete shock uh, in most of the, th- the theater that I saw it with, I, I don't know, maybe we got uh, bigger brains or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would uh, agree with you there if we were in, you were at South by and I was at, I know, he, you could, you could argue that because we're in a festival setting, you know, a lot of people are just like, you know, always applauding, like you do good, good work, no matter if it's a shit film or a bad film, but that in no way shaped my feelings of the film. Uh, I talked because uh, I went to an after party after the film uh, f- for Paramount and the film. Um, and so I got to talk with a lot of my uh, close uh, critic friends and uh, some new ones. And so I got to talk with them and I was like, what did you think? And so I had quite a few of them who felt uh, like I did that it was exciting and refreshing. And some of, even some of the big people like, uh, that I really respect cr- critics wise, uh, like, right for like dead central and uh, slash film, they all enjoyed it. And so, uh, then that kind of justified as like, okay, I'm not alone in thinking that that movie was awesome in, a in a cabin in the woods kind of way. Um, and then, yeah, there were some that, uh, were picking apart, um, felt that the the original was more scary and, and i think i think it is i think the original film and i, and I mentioned I'm, I'm, I'm kicking uh something that's already been said uh, quite a few times on here already but i, I just really want to illustrate or say that i think that it's just two different types of horror films to me um and so i think they can exist both exist in the same 
uh, world for us that we can watch one to get a certain feeling, watch the other to get another feeling. And so I enjoyed the humor in it. Um, I also mentioned in my interview that um, one of the things that I was surprised about was that the film has a, a modern understanding of the horror genre because, you know, revisiting a lot of these old horror films that we have been doing on this podcast and what I've been doing over the past couple of years as running my own uh, home entertainment column and seeing horror films that I've never seen before or ones that I haven't seen in a long time is, uh, you know, you can watch it, uh, it, a movie now, uh, that came out a couple of like 30 years ago and then be like, yeah, that doesn't quite work right now, but it's like they, they use the same words that Stephen King says and I, I listen to, I, I'm like reading it and then I could say, okay, um, it doesn't quite work for me as well today. And so they make a joke out of it. And so that's what I kind of enjoyed, uh, with it is that it found like a nice balance between kind of being funny. Cause like I, I thought of, uh, specifically the scene in the new one when church dies and then uh, Judd says something like, uh, I'll, well, I'll be here. I can't remember what he says, but there's like a, 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 do you know what scene I'm talking about? Like he said something. And then I remember the audience laughing and then me laughing because uh, it's supposed to be like a serious moment. But I think that's what the filmmakers understand that, that, that uh, this moment may have worked years ago, but when you put in today, uh, somebody would be the modern audiences would be questioning it, the logic of it. Uh, uh, like right now, people could be watching this film and be like, "Why the fuck would they be living next to a highway where semi truck? Wouldn't you notice that when you're like uh, buying the house and be like, would that just like not come up, or would they not even like work hard enough to go to like to the city and be like, y'all fucking drivers need to be slowing down, like they don't need to be speeding down here. Um, so there's like stuff like that. Um, uh, I mean, they don't do that in the movie. Like, you could still pick that apart. But there's, like, other moments, like uh, Lewis questioning where the hell he's even going to. Because in the original, he's just, like, kind of, like, in like almost in a trance, and it's just, like, following him. Um, but in this one, he at least – there's, like, one specific moment, because that's what I was waiting for. I was like, is he going to question this? Because any real human being would be like, where the hell are you taking me, John? Like, what am I doing here? But then it's this like he's it's like he's being wrapped up into the spell of the area, like it's the power is taking over him, and so that further taps into everything of what I've been saying about this film, focusing more on the power of the Micmac burial ground and like what sort of effects that has on human nature. Interesting. So yeah, I, a lot of Stephen King stuff has dark humor in it, and I just didn't find really any humor in Pet Cemetery, uh, even like any of the story, really, um, minus like here and there, but more silly moments that were not intended to be funny. I don't know. I Yeah, I, I think it's them trying to – because also in the book, um, because we're getting access to his to Lewis's brain, um, like he'll have a serious – moment like a confrontation with rachel's father um and then 
they'll be fighting, but then you'll also get a like a out of box moment, like an annotation of him saying like he's being a fucking prick right now and stuff like that. So I think they were trying to communicate some of that that uh, that sort of humor into the film, and maybe it it, it can work for some people. Uh, not work for others, obviously, I guess, Brian, but uh, it works for me. So I don't know. Um, so I, I think it's be, this is one of those movies where I'm going to be very interested to see what some of my other friends have to say about it, because I feel very strongly about it and very supportive of it. Um, I do really want to go see it again, just because I've spent a lot of time in this world the past couple of weeks watching the original, uh, reading the book again. And then so I... I wanted to go see it again this week to prepare for this uh, review, but at the same time, I like I felt so strongly about it. I kind of wanted to contain that specialness a little bit longer, uh, just to see. And so I'm going to give it some time, and then watch it again and see if I still feel the same way. Uh, especially after hearing everything of what you just after everything that you've said, maybe it may open up uh, me to be more. Uh, critical of the film um so we'll see but for for right now i i i just hear everything (laughs) of what you're saying and i'm just like what the hell man um so uh yeah this is this has been a very exciting episode uh just because i had no idea what you thought of it uh i even thought about texting you after you saw the film and be like, man, I really want to know what Brian thought of it. I'm kind of glad it didn't because uh, this made it more interesting. <laughs> it did, it did. I, I I love that we did that, and I was looking so much to doing this because I knew we were going to have opposite opinions after I walked out of the theater, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a great episode. <laughs> but I think we but, still love uh, each other, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can still uh, part ways and shake hands, and uh, that's fine. You know, slap each other on the butt and be like, good game. Um, Let's hit the showers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny. Um, so uh, I hope that you'll give this movie another shot and see if you can understand where I'm coming from, and then I'll do the same. No, for sure, I'm definitely gonna do that because I really want to see what you saw. <laughs> so uh, I really do. So and trust me, I feel like I have to say this: Paramount didn't pay me or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> I. I really, I really feel this way about the film, and I stand by every word I have said. If you read my review on FreshFiction.tv or Denton Record Chronicle, uh, uh, in everything of what I said in my interviews, which you can look up. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not just putting words out there, looking for quotes in the trailer and all that shit. No, it's really coming from the heart, and that's that's how I feel. Well, Paramount paid me to hate it, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Disney did. (laughs) Disney did. No, they didn't. So uh, that wraps up our episode, our 45th episode of Pet Cemetery, our our steel cage match episode in time for WrestleMania. Uh, But yes, uh, go see it. We want to hear your take on this because I'm at one end of the spectrum, Preston's on the other end. Uh, and we would love to hear what you thought. Uh, yeah, please email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com or uh, if you want to send me a message on Instagram at mybloodypodcast or Preston Barter, I'm there. And I also just went went ahead and did it. Uh, we have a My Bloody Podcast on Twitter now as well. So um, 
we still have uh, that contest going right now for uh, Walking Dead. I don't know when you want to conclude that, Brian, but uh, I don't. So I guess it's up to you. But um, I'm going to go ahead and say that we also are holding a contest uh, now. It is active for Glass. So we will be giving away copies of Glass, the new M. Night Shyamalan film, the third film in the Unbreakable Split uh, trilogy, whatever that you want to call it, franchise universe. Um, so we're going to be giving away a couple of copies of that on uh, Blu-ray, I believe. That comes with a digital code and all that good fun. Um, so uh, we'll be uh, making up a, a contest uh, for that. I'm sure it's going to fall in line with what we're doing right now for uh, Fear the Walking Dead. So I guess you can uh, tell them about that, Brian. Do you, are we going to do stuff on Boomstick Comics or, or or what? Yeah, I'll post it on Boomstick Comics so you can read about it. But what we want you to do is uh, to enter the contest for Glass and Fear the Walking Dead. Just uh, go to our iTunes uh, or Stitcher Radio um podcast look up multimedia and look up multi, uh, look up my bloody podcast and uh, subscribe to us and review and rate us and we'll know who it is and then share on your social media our podcast and we will figure out who has entered that way um, by just doing that simply and we will announce a winner so uh, yeah there we go we will we will be posting that and yeah we, we're excited we, we love that you all listen and so we're gonna be doing more contests we have our own website that will be done soon, so you'll be able to visit mybloodypodcast.net very soon. Very excited. And, uh, yeah, we are on Boomstick Comics, and we are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, coming soon to mybloodypodcast.net. And uh, we were featured probably on freshfiction.tv and sometimes yep. highdefdigest.com and all that good stuff. So we're on there. Look us up. Yes, uh, there's a couple things I wanted to plug real quick on Denton Record Chronicle and Fresh Fiction. I have a couple of reviews and articles up uh, to fall in line with horror. Uh, I think I've brought it up before. There's this uh, movie coming out uh, this weekend called The Wind. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's basically about uh, prairie madness. Like just just think of uh, Jack Torrance from The Shining, like Cabin Fever. Uh, but uh, it's uh, a, a plains woman, and after her husband goes away for uh, you know frontier missions or uh, what what have you, uh, just kind of getting into the psychology of a plains woman going through that sort of thing, and also like failed pregnancy. So, and uh, kind of like uh, the the. the more genuine version of the happening <laughs> of like the wind being Yikes. Uh, the, the, t- the supernatural part of the film. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a slow burn uh, movie. It plays around with uh, the timeline a little bit f- uh, from like a, you know, more chronological horror film. Um, so I enjoyed it. I interviewed the director, Emma Tammy, Emma Tammy on, um, Fresh Fiction, so you can go on freshfiction.tv right now and you can find that interview. Talked a lot about uh, uh, how the best horror out there is the ones that um, 
make you think about real world issues through a genre lens. So uh, I had a good conversation with her about that. And then uh, not horror related, uh, have a review up for the Unicorn Store, which is Brie Larson's Academy Award winner, Brie Larson's film, uh, directorial debut. And it's on Netflix this weekend. Did not like it that much, but there are some good things about it. But so uh, maybe maybe watch it, but I didn't enjoy it enough to fully recommend it. Um, and then there's another big one that I review. I guess it was just Pet Cemetery. So yeah, if you want to go on FreshFiction.tv or Didn't Rick Chronicle, you can find all my stuff on there. Sweet deal. Uh, that wraps up my bloody podcast episode 45. We will be back next week with episode 46. And we are excited. Um, but yeah. And, and we're going to mention that every episode. We're going to tell you what number we're on and that we're excited because we're always excited. We're always excited, like Preston said. And like I said, I guess I'm kind of excited. I'm really excited. I feel like I'm like in a, like a action figure commercial. But thank you for listening. We'll be back. Thank you, Preston. Thank you.